This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Dr. Stephen Cohn never has trouble falling asleep. When his head hits the pillow, Cohn's not thinking about the car crash victim with a brain bleed and broken leg the time he spent operating on a patient with a stab wound to the stomach, or even the one person he wasn't able to save that day. Cohn says this ability to compartmentalize is essential in the life of a trauma surgeon. It is inevitable patients are going to die. They come in dying and you do everything you can and they're not going to always survive. You have to do your absolute best and then feel comfortable to be able to move on. Because remember, you know, we're like a quarterback in the NFL. You can't be paralyzed by the last patient that had a bad outcome. You have to be able to aggressively do your job. And obviously in our job, it's not about an incomplete pass. It's about someone not surviving. Cohn is a trauma surgeon and author of All Bleeding Stops, Life and Death in the Trauma Unit. He spent time as the Division Chief of Trauma and Surgical Critical Care at Yale University, as well as the Medical Director of the Ryder Trauma Center in Miami. He says that this medical field often naturally weeds out the physicians who are easily stressed or anxious. In this job, being calm is the only option. And though Cohn's bounced around different institutions, he says the job mostly stays the same. Every week, a group of around six surgeons is divided up, each responsible for a different type of patient. So you imagine that your service is uh, acute care surgery, which means all the people that are being admitted with acute general surgical problems like a perforated stomach or a ischemic bowel. One person takes all of those that the service is responsible for. Another person covers the surgical intensive care unit and rounds on all the ICU patients that are there from a variety of different services that are typically more surgical, like a orthopedic surgical patient or neurosurgical patient, general surgical or trauma patient that are in the ICU because they're very sick, and we manage those patients. Depending on how busy the hospital is, some places will have full teams of physicians on each of those services. Depending on the size of the service, most of us are on call once or twice during the week for either an overnight shift or a 24-hour shift where we take everything that comes in. Another person might cover the ICU every day, and then the last day of the week might be the trauma person also, and likewise, general surgery. It all really depends on the institution and the volume. Which means that some surgeons may not do any surgery for the whole week. They're just serving as backup if the trauma surgeon needs an extra hand. Regardless of which role they're in for the week, Cohn says every day begins with a group meeting of surgeons, residents, and the chief resident to go over the last 24 hours. After reviewing all the material and deciding on personalized plans for each patient, the teams break up and start their day. Cohn says that on any given shift, the trauma surgeon could perform as many as eight procedures, but that doesn't mean they're spending the whole day in the operating room. Our operations, by almost by definition, are short. The sickest of the sick patients, 
they can't tolerate very much operating because they're actively trying to die. I took care of one woman who was in a really high-speed car crash, and her children were hurt, and she was really badly hurt. And she started to lose all her vital signs in the emergency room, the trauma bay. So we opened her chest and cross-clamped her aorta and took her up to the operating room. They discovered that the woman had torn a main blood vessel that drains blood from the small intestine. That had been ripped off her portal vein, which is a big vein that goes into the liver. And she's like arresting and trying to die. And over a period of about an hour, we got over 100 units of blood into her. It was a very, very good anesthesia team. And we were able to stabilize her, take out parts of her bowel intestine that had died, and stabilize her enough to get her to the intensive care unit. There, the team was able to maintain the patient's health so that they could perform another surgery eight hours later. The woman was in and out of the operating room four times in the next 24 hours, which eventually led to a full recovery. Cohn says that while these surgeries are often much shorter than in other medical disciplines, the multiple operations take its toll. This was harder than any long operation because we were fighting to keep her alive during each one of these procedures. After long shifts and constant chaos, you may wonder how doctors stay on top of their game. Fortunately, Cohn says there's a lot of safety measures in place that make sure mistakes don't happen. Major decisions are typically made in a hierarchical fashion so that there's not an intern or a medical student or a junior person making critical decisions on patients. Their role is to see the patient and talk to their senior resident, who then talks to their chief resident, who then talks to the attending physician who's in the hospital. That's the way it's supposed to happen. There's supposed to be this communication that occurs, and it does happen that way. Meaning that a life-or-death decision isn't usually given by one sleep-deprived physician. The real obstacle trauma surgeons face is earning the trust of patients and their families. One of the problems is that when you roll your car at 60 miles an hour and are injured, you don't choose who your doctor is going to be or who your hospital is going to be. Some paramedic and an EMS provider throw you into the back of an ambulance, drive you as fast as they can to the nearest place, and then whoever happens to be on call sees you in the emergency department. You may also get passed around to different departments depending on your injuries, and everyone you're seeing is a new face. This can cause anxiety for an average patient going in for a scheduled surgery, let alone someone who's just gone through a traumatic accident. So therefore, we're a stranger, and in the trust Olympics, I call it, we're already way back behind the pack because they don't trust you intrinsically. Who is this person that I've never met before telling me that grandma has a grave injury and may not survive. So already from the very beginning, it's a very complicated relationship. And there's all these feelings. People often haven't talked to their family members about what they want to do in different situations. For example, Cohn had been helping in the neurology department when an older man came in with a stroke. When the neurologist gave him blood thinners, a complication occurred that created a bleed in the man's brain. After undergoing a life-saving procedure, he ended up in a coma. So we went to the family and we said, in this situation, it's been a week, we've had the neurosurgeons and the neurologists and everyone's in agreement that he's probably going to be in this state indefinitely, if not forever. It's not like a 20-year-old where they can shake it off. So we said, we have two options. This is a conversation we have all the time. We have two options. 
we can either do a tracheostomy and give the patient a feeding tube and they can go to the nursing home and they'll be on a ventilator getting fed, or we can humanely remove their breathing tube and they will not survive that. An option many of us have seen reenacted countless times in various TV shows, but few have experienced in real life. And though the doctors have been in this situation before again and again, the patient's family may only see a stranger in scrubs. Some people might even believe that the physician has ulterior motives when presenting this ultimatum. So this is a real problem because the family looks at you and they don't know you that well. And everyone's consulted Dr. Google and they have family members who've told them about other relatives who were told this same story and survived. And there's always the medical error concern. There's all these other things that go into the equation that make them feel like maybe the doctors just want my grandpa's bed. They're just trying to get that resource. Fortunately, Cohen says patients and families can feel secure in knowing that the doctor is always focused on what is right for each individual patient. Cohen's book, All Bleeding Stops, is available now wherever books are sold. You can find more information about Dr. Stephen Cohn and all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.org. For more behind the scenes, follow Radio Health Journal on Facebook, Instagram, and X. Our writer-producer is Kristen Farah. Our production manager is Jason Dickey. I'm Greg Johnson. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal. Basically, we have a lot of choice, a lot of responsibility, and not always all the tools and information to handle it. Does the average person have enough knowledge to make major medical decisions? Then, how doctors can stay patient-focused in the ICU. I now really value that component of my being at the bedside with these people more than I do the procedures, the beeps and the buzzers. All that and more on Radio Health Journal. I'm Elizabeth Westfield, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. The birds survived, and of course, birds are living dinosaurs. The larger picture of why dinosaurs are no longer around today. Then... I had to really put her back in line and say, you're still a teenager, go out with your friends, you're going to college, this is not your burden, let's process this. You've had a loss too, let's talk about this. Finding a way back after loss. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. And that's Radio Health Journal for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more. And check Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify for a library of past programs. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and information about our guests at RadioHealthJournal.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Radio Health Journal. <laughs>